Amen. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word from Romans chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ who died, or rather who was raised, who is also at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. It's good to see you here, whether you're with us in the room or you're online. Uh, it's good to have you here. We're in the kind of this first summit in the book of Romans. We've been in Romans chapter 8 for about a month, but we're hitting that spot where you can kind of finally see where we're going. That the heart of Romans, the center of Romans is not Romans 6, 7, 8. It's Romans 9 through 11, where Paul is going to do the important and deep theological work of, of, of showing how God's election with Israel is being fulfilled through the Gentile believers who are coming to hear because they trust in Jesus and, and the, the mutual relationship that happens between those two groups and how that pours out and spills out into the life of the Roman church that's struggling to figure out how to live together. We're almost there. It's like if you've ever been to Yosemite, and if you've, if you've ever been, Yosemite is a beautiful valley, and there's, there's Half Dome on one side, and there's El Capitan on the other side, but they dug this um, cave, a, a tunnel, uh, in like the 1930s. And as you go into the valley, you go through this tunnel, it's the best way to get to Yosemite, and you turn, and all of a sudden, everything is glorious right before you. It all is just splayed out in every splendor. And that's kind of where we're at at the end of Romans chapter 8. And so we're just going to linger here in this, this view. We're going to linger in this moment. And I want us to, to breathe it in. I want us to experience what that means. It's curious, though, how Paul sets up these questions it's just this series of, of four little questions. And, and what you expect is that in, in Jesus Christ, God's answer is yes. That's something I think we would lay our, our values on. In Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. But, but this time, at the end of Romans chapter 8, what we're going to experience is probably be the first and only time that God ever says no. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Romans 8 starting about verse 31. Before we jump in, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be gathered today. Father, it was, a, it was a joy to raise my voice with all of these believers, my brothers and sisters, as we proclaimed Jesus as Lord, that you are King, that this world is yours, and it is a gift to live in it. Father, it was a gift to be gathered around the table today and, and to, to hear the promise of what your good grace will do for us, to share your body and your blood with our brothers and sisters. And Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching so that you might bless this church in truth and love. It is through Christ we pray and the church says, amen. 
So it's kind of a curious turn here when Paul is moving to like kind of the rhetorical peak of where we've been building. We've been moving to this point in Romans 8, and Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. This is how you find life. God doesn't promise you a life without problems. God promises you the good life, right? God doesn't promise that everything's going to be easy. In fact, he says, you are going to endure suffering, but because we're not alone, we endure suffering well. And the reason that we do that is because we have the Spirit. It's the Spirit that comforts us and moves us and shapes us and restores us. And it's curious that at the end of this chapter that's all about the Spirit, the Spirit is no longer mentioned. Why? Why is that? Why does suddenly Paul veer off not to mention the Holy Spirit in this last rhetorical peak that he's been building to? And, and I think the reason why is that he wants to show us what the primary task of the Holy Spirit is. And I, I think that's where Paul wants to land at the end of Romans chapter 8. This is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Now, there's a lot of other promises that we've come into, a lot of other truths, but this is the one truth, to remind you who you are. I mean, the chapter begins in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that word condemnation, that's a legal term. It means to be, to be found guilty and to receive punishment for your guilt. And that the promise of Christ is, is not that you're going to be found not guilty. Like they couldn't find enough evidence to charge you. There's a, there's a lot of daylight between not guilty and innocent. In Christ Jesus, you are found innocent. It's difficult for condemned people to find rest. The punishment is always hanging over their heads. Guilt is always with them. But Christ gives us rest. Christ gives you peace. And I think there's a lot of people that live as if they're trying to follow Christ and have no idea what this peace means. And you might have come from that system or you might have had seasons of that system in your heart where you, you show up on Sunday because if you miss, you might be docked for it. If, like there's some sort of report card in heaven that's keeping track of your attendance. And you, you take communion not because you want to experience the, the spiritual mystical experience of, of connecting with Christ, of consuming his body and blood, but because you sinned last week. And because you sinned, if you don't take the communion, your slate's not wiped clean. You could have died on the way here and you would have been shot. That would have been terrible. And you live the rest of your life in fear. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? I yelled at my kid. Is that, does that push me out of the kingdom? I cheated. Does that make me unfit for God? That kind of Christianity does not give you rest. Brothers and sisters, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit teaches that truth. The second thing the Spirit teaches us is that we move from pardon to adoption. Again, pardon, innocence is not the same thing as, as, as or uh, not guilty is not the same thing as innocence. And pardon means just you're not gonna suffer the punishment for your crime. You're guilty, you're just not going to jail from it. But pardon is different from adoption. Because the Holy Spirit begins the process of sanctification to change us, 
By teaching us, we are sons and daughters, heirs of God. Uh, it was very common in the first century for a person who was adopted to be actually be an adult. It wouldn't be a child. It'd be somebody that's 30, 40, 45 years old. And something would happen in that kind of adoption. The thing that would happen, if you were adopted like that, your debts were wiped away. Not only were your debts wiped away, given a fresh start, but also you inherited something valuable. Not only were you set free from the past, you were given a new future. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. It begins the process of sanctification. It's not that you're not going to get punished for how evil you are. It's that God creates something new because you are a son or a daughter of God. The last thing the Spirit does in Romans 8 is that it helps us cry out, Abba, Father, and it also translates our prayers. You pray for something and you don't know what you need. All you have is a groan that comes out to you. Creation is groaning. The cosmos is groaning, waiting to be redeemed. In that hurt and broken place, you groan. And the Spirit takes that groan and turns it into the best possible thing for God. And in that translation, the Spirit is teaching us that there is unspeakable joy. And it's within our grasp. And so the Spirit brings you into the kingdom, and it grows you into the kingdom, and it, it allows you to stay in the kingdom. Romans 8 has all been the same thing. It's about assurance. And that's what Paul teaches us at the end. That's what the Spirit is trying to do at the end of this. It's assurance. What are we to say about these things, Paul asks. And then he just asks a bunch of questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? How will God not give us everything else since he's already given us his son? Who will bring a charge against us? It's God who justifies. If God has said you're okay, who can condemn? And then the last question is, who will separate us? What will separate us? Can you be separated from the love of Christ? And God's answer is no. I think the reality is, as I was thinking about this week, this week, is perhaps the only person, the only thing, the only spiritual force, the only power in the cosmos that can separate you from the love of Christ or love of God that is in Christ Jesus is you. You are the only thing, perhaps. I, I wrestle with that because I also know that God's love is it's pretty tenacious. It's relentless. It will not give up. But maybe it's you. Maybe you, are, you reject God's mercy. And at the beginning of the week, as I was wrestling with this, I thought, you know, that's a certain type of arrogance, isn't it? To believe that I can reject God's mercy, that, that my sin is the special sin. Right? Like I've got this special category of sin that not even God could handle, not even God could deal with. It's like I, I go into, somehow God is like this cafeteria and I'm, you know, vegan, gluten-free and there's nothing possibly that God could make that I could consume. I'm the unique one that has all the special sins that nobody else wrestles with. That's ridiculous when you think about it. It moves to absurdity, but I think in a lot of our lives we live there. God wouldn't really love me if he knew what I did. I don't know how anybody could love me if you knew my habits. And so I began this week thinking that, okay, this has got to be like some sort of crazy amount of arrogance to believe that. But I think toward the end of the week, what I, I came to realize is it's not arrogance. It's like, it's a total failure of imagination. 
an utter and complete failure of imagination to, 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 to even comprehend how big God's love is, how great God's grace truly is. It's like just some kid that grew up perhaps in West Texas or, or Colorado and had never seen the ocean before, never experienced it, and all they had was their, their tank in the backyard or, or just this mud puddle that formed whenever it rained, which really wasn't that often, and they, they played in the tank and they played in the mud puddle, and sometimes like worms would appear, and that was cool, um, but, but somebody comes to them and says, hey, I want to take you to the ocean. And the child says, well, I've never seen the ocean before. What is it? And you describe it to them, well, it's this vast expanse of water, and it has waves and the smell, and, and the, the child just cannot comprehend it. They can't imagine what you're talking about. And so they say, well, is it kind of like my mud puddle? Well, I mean, yeah, it's water, and there's, there's dirt at the bottom, but, oh, okay, well, it would, will it be as good as my mud puddle? Would it be as fun? There's a total lack of imagination, I think, that comes when we begin to think that we could reject God's mercy. The reality is that God is going to work it out. God is going to save you. God did not spare his own son because of the degree that which he loves you. And if he did not spare his own son, how much more do you think that God has to offer? But I realize that the truth is, in this room, um, there's people that are new to Christianity. They're, they're figuring out if this is right for me. There's unbelievers in this room that are here listening, and, and you're, you're captivated by God. You're entranced by Jesus, but you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what is this like? There's also stages of life that you're in where you're growing up, and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to church, but that's kind of just because my folks make me. Or you're in college now, and you're asking the questions, I, I know what my parents believed. I know what my family back home believed, but is this right for me? And the questions that you ask is like, okay, what is this worth? Or another way to think of that question is, is what is following Christ going to cost me? Does it mean that I have to like give my money away? I can't sleep with who I want anytime I want? That I have to obey a bunch of worn out old rules? Is that what this means? What's this going to cost me exactly? And I, I'm a terrible salesman. I hate selling anything. One time I had a job um, where I was supposed to just like, I was in a mall and I was supposed to give out free chicken nuggets. And I hated that job. Like, I wasn't even selling anything. I was just trying to give away nuggets. If somebody said, nah, I took it personally. Like, um, and then part of it is because I always, I like, I'll tell the truth and I'll, I'll talk somebody out of buying things. I'll say, hey, I, I've got this product, this candy bar. Would you like to buy one? It'd probably make you fat. Why, why did I even say that? It's because I tell the truth. That's the problem. <laughs> Which is implying that salesmen don't tell the truth. That's not what I mean. Uh, a good salesman tells you the truth. Uh, uh, here's the truth. Following Christ, following Christ is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you all of your shame, and it's going to cost you all of your guilt, and it's, you're not going to be able to hang on to any of your pride. It's going to cost you your self-loathing and your self-pity. It will cost you 
everything. But the truth is, is that if you allow the Spirit to work on you, to sanctify you, to transform you, to make you more into the image of Jesus, the further along you go, the more you realize that you didn't want any of those things in the first place. Because it's like a kid trying to hold on to the mud puddle while someone offers them the ocean. Maybe our failure is just this total lack of imagination. Tim Keller has been my conversation partner as we've been going through Romans 8. He and I have been wrestling together over these texts. I, I said that in first, and someone says, like, you know Tim Keller? I'm like, no, I just read his books. Um, but he and I have been wrestling about this, and he, and he tells this story about his mother-in-law when he and his wife had their first kid. And, and she said kind of offhanded, but it was a comment that stuck with him, like, his, the rest of his life, that she wanted to write a book that was called How to Raise Your First Like Your Fifth. Because his wife was his mother-in-law's fifth child. My, my friend Rick Oswald, he was a former elder, um, he, he talks about this. He's like, you know, the first time when you have your first baby, if that baby cries, you are out of bed. You are in that room. If that baby falls, you're rushing to save them. You know, if, if, if you hold them forever, you're asking your spouse, like, do you think, do you think we need to go to the hospital? Is this, is this a, an issue for the ED? You will, you will do everything you can for that baby. Uh, Rick would say, by his third daughter, he would look at them when they were crying and said, unless you're bleeding, I'm not getting out of this chair, right? Because there's things you learn about children the further you get along. And by the time you're in your fifth kid, you know what, 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 what is an emergency and what's just life and what's a baby just saying like, I'm kind of hungry and fussy right now. You learn what that is. And so his mother-in-law wanted to say, I wish I could teach first-time parents how to live like fifth-time parents, but the truth is you can't. The only way you become like a fifth-time parent is if you put in the work. If you put in the time being transformed and educated and shaped. Maybe our failure with God is that our imaginations are too small. But for most of us, the further we walk, the only question that really matters is, will God stick with me? Will God stick with you? And I think this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. Because you've met that couple. I've met dozens of this couple where, you know, there's, there's partner A and there's partner B. And, and partner A is like totally sharp and savvy and funny you know, dresses amazingly. And partner B is just kind of like, meh. And, and, you're, and you're like, how did these two people get together, right? Like, how does this work out? Some of you are looking at your spouse. You shouldn't right now. Um, <laughs> and and you, you get to know them a little bit longer. And then you realize like partner A is completely insecure, is completely neurotic. And partner B is actually really wise and caring. And you're thinking to yourself, after you get to know them for a while, why are, why are you with them? Like, how is this supposed to work out? The longer you move in your relationship to God, the question that you ask is, 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 is God going to stick with you? Is God going to put up with all of this? 
It's, it's, it's relational plaque, I think, that builds in every, every human relationship. I've never experienced a relationship that didn't have this. You know, like plaque you get on your teeth. Like you can, you can brush your teeth twice a day, and if you're like a total, you know, overachiever, you floss too, and it does not matter. Like you still have to go to the dentist on a regular basis for them to clean the plaque off your teeth, like scrape it off, because you're not capable of cleaning the plaque off. And the reality is, if you don't go to the dentist, even though you're trying to do those little things, eventually plaque is just going to like cover your teeth. If you really want to be grossed out, do this after lunch. Don't do it before, but you can YouTube videos of like extreme plaque cleaning. And it looks like the entire parts of teeth are falling out. And it's just the buildup that's happened from somebody that's not taking care of themselves. And that happens in your relationships. Bad communication systems and and stress cycles where your two pains begin to interact with one another. And and those things become entrenched and it creates harm in your relationship that you're not able to repair from. Like all of those things happen and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. But not with God. Maybe the most fundamental thing that the Holy Spirit teaches us is the answer to the question that God said no. Are you going to leave me? Are you going to abandon me? Am I going to be lost on my own, adrift in my sin and my circumstance and my suffering? God, are you ever going to leave the Spirit teaches us that that answer is always no. So church, let me remind you of this truth. We're almost to that vista. Next week, we're going to hit it. You want to be here next week. We're almost to that vista. Let me remind you of this truth. God's mercy, God's great, big, incomprehensible grace is new every morning. God's faithfulness does not end ever. God's love is new every morning. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand for our benediction? Our prayer team is going to come forward now. They're available to you. If you've got something you're carrying, a mantle that's a burden for you, they would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you. If that's a cup of coffee later this week, they're happy to do that. Our elders are here, and they want to pastor you. They want to shepherd you. They are ready for that. But this week, may you carry God's grace. May God's love not be a burden of of guilt or shame because all of that was put on the cross. May God's love be light and joyful, full of peace and good news, that nothing will ever separate you from the love in Christ Jesus. Go in peace.